0: My job uh, is really twofold. I don't want to sound like it's too easy, but there's the preaching part and the pastoring part. One part is the structured part of my job. The other part is the surprising part of my job. Uh, How often do Sundays roll around? What's your answer there? It's kind of a math question, isn't it? Every seven days, right? Not if you're a preacher. It's like Sunday, another day or two, and then Sunday again. It rolls around really, really fast, but that's the structured part the pastoring part as I said is a surprising part I remember they don't teach this in seminary but I got a phone call uh, several years ago when I was a younger pastor much younger pastor and a family said hey can you go visit my son slash brother in prison and so I went that's what you do you do what Jesus says through his people and I went to the prison it was maximum security prison as I got deeper into the inner sanctum into the bowels of it they explained to me that he's back there in that room that padded room and he's all alone I asked well you know why is he alone and they said he's been deemed a threat to himself and others. Okay, all right, I'm going in there, and uh, obviously I made it out. Okay, but the surprising part is just again they don't teach that in seminary, but there's just there's it's just a, a blessed part. It's terrifying and exhilarating and humbling and also ennobling and, and beautiful. And uh, this week I've had some surprises, some phone calls, some hard things. So hopefully today we can eke out. A sermon for you. 9.30 wasn't too bad. We'll see if we can uh, lift it up a little bit here at 11 o'clock. But we're going to be in Revelation 3. I want you to turn there. I want to ask you a question as you do. We won't put the passage up yet, but I want to ask you, if you had one shot, one opportunity to seize the moment, to get everything that you wanted in that moment, would you capture it or would you let it slip away? His palms are sweaty. His knees are weak. His arms are heavy. He's nervous, but on the surface, He's calm and ready. I won't go too far into m M&M, and uh, this Sunday morning. Got a couple guys out here uh, shaking me off, uh, 2002. Listen, hey, long before m M&M and dropped that in eight miles, uh, God did to us. But we have one shot. The Bible teaches us that life is but a breath, and you have one shot. If it's just a breath of vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes, hey, your life will vanish. And we have one shot. So I stand before you this morning saying, man, I want to make the most of this shot. When God visited, when he created the world and visited a man in the garden, he gave them a mandate, if you will. He He created uh, the seas and he created the birds and he created the earth and the sky. And he, he created oceans and animals and trees that produce fruit that were... Uh, consisted of seeds and those seeds grew more trees that produced more fruit and on and on and on and you see there's a creative process God created we debate endlessly and I think unnecessarily so was it science or poetry of Genesis 1-2 was it metaphor or was it literal and God created and too many of us think that he created and it stopped but God calls us to to be involved in the ongoing creative process to to make something of this world that we live in and your life man to make something out of it to do something with it to take it somewhere oh and by the way to enjoy it we partner with god and after the cultural the creative mandate there was a um, salvation mandate, a discipleship mandate, where just as we partner with God in creation, we're called to partner with Him as we make disciples. Go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. I will be with you. Hey, it is a partnership. It's not you going and doing it and checking back with me from time to time or me checking on you periodically. It's us partnering together. Lo, I will be with you always. And just as we're called to to make something, to take life somewhere, uh, we're called to go and to make, to teach, and to baptize. And that is, as Daniel said in the prayer time, the guided prayer time, that is the essence of the series uh, that we're in. And so we've taken a tour into Revelation. Revelation, we've been in chapter 2 and chapter 3, and we're looking at the seven letters to the seven churches. Uh, We're calling it, a little more poetically, we're calling it Letters to Lost Disciples. And that's where I want us to be uh, today. Revelation is, uh, I'll say, a it's a hard book. John Calvin, one of the greatest minds uh, in theological history. Some of you are of that persuasion or appreciate him. I bet all of you have probably heard of him. Again, great mind. There's 66 books of the Bible. We like to refer to this, well, it's it's a book. If you got the Bible, you got your book, it's a book. It's my favorite book. It's the good book. It's God's inspired book. But it's actually not a book. It's a library of 66 different books penned by 40-plus authors over, did you know this, over 50? Fifteen hundred years. And in this, John Calvin wrote 65 commentaries of the Bible except one. Any guesses? Revelation. When John Calvin was asked why he did not write a commentary on Revelation, he said, it's just too hard to understand. Now, hear me in referencing him and representing him. He loved Revelation. He preached Revelation. He read Revelation, but a commentary is line by line, verse by verse. You better know your stuff. So Calvin just kind of sat that one out. But in Revelation, I said it last week, it's not what it reveals, it's who it reveals. It reveals Christ as a high priest, as a slain lamb, as a conquering king. And that's why we're digging into this. And I want us to look today uh, at uh, just a kind of the heart of revelation three things i want to give you note takers there's your cue we'll have a lot of good notes for you today three things about revelation or about the heart of revelation the first is it's an invitation book it's an invitation to repent it's an invitation to repent to stop and to turn around now in my coldest spiritual moments in my dry times i think oh Repentance, that's another command, another you know, irksome thing from an obligatory God who's on my back, who wants to take away my joy. I've got to repent. But notice the phrasing here, and notice what it is in Revelation. It's an invitation to repent, to stop, to turn around, to not just change your opinion, that's pretty shallow, but to change the ideas and to change what's happening in the deepest part of your heart. Revelation is an invitation. Uh, it's an invitation Book And so think about this, we think of sin, we think of sin as it's out there, it's those people. Here's how it goes for us today. Um, Hollywood is immoral, the media is liberal, the professors are cynical, the millennials, the young generation are rebellious. But here's the thing about repentance that I want us to grasp. These letters to lost disciples are for the church. These letters to the churches are about ready for this, not sin out there but sin in here. It's our sin. Notice I'm pointing to me. It's your sin. It's our sin that we would repent, that we would stop, that we would turn around. Second thing about the heart of this book is not only is it an invitation book, it's a preparation book. All seven churches, though different, by the way, they were pretty much located in modern-day Turkey, and all seven churches uh, were prepared. Uh, It's Super Bowl Sunday, as many of you are aware. So look at it like this. It is from Jesus a pregame speech. Why did they need it? They were about to enter into tribulation. And so so much of this you'll see or you have seen or we'll see, it's endure. Don't stop. Don't give up. Long before journey, don't stop believing. Don't lose heart because when you lose heart, when it anchors itself right there deep down, um you're done. You you're going to quit. You're going to quit if you lose heart, so stay at it. Not only is it an invitation book, it's a preparation book. Thirdly, I'm going to say it's a celebration book. What is celebrated in Revelation? You know what's celebrated? Listen to me, especially if you're a young person. You know what's celebrated? The church. Sometimes we view Jesus as independent from Israel, as a fugitive, as a renegade, as a rebel, not anchored in to the, to the temple or to the life of Israel. Can I tell you that's not biblical? Jesus was engaged in the life of Israel. Jesus went to the temple as was his custom. Jesus loves the local expression of church. And so to a young generation of believers in the house or watching from home, we're called to love the church. And in this letter, one of the things I love about it, Jesus never said, go make churches. He said, go make disciples. And when we make disciples, guess what happens? Churches follow. Leaders are set up and there are oftentimes houses of worship and we baptize people. There are conversions. And what do you do with those conversions? You baptize those conversions and you teach and you strive and labor Colossians 128 to present every man every person complete in Christ there were local churches and so these letters are written to them and I love affirmation I love appreciation appreciation is when you say thank you for someone who did something for you affirmation goes deeper than that it's when you look at someone that you love and say I appreciate you for who you are it's deeper and there's there is appreciation and affirmation celebration in this letter for the church at Philadelphia we looked at last week that there was celebration of their endurance and their deeds. I know your deeds, it says, and it is love. And they are celebrated for that. For Ephesians, they're celebrated for their hard work. For Smyrna, haven't looked at that, but for Smyrna, they were celebrated that because they were suffering, but they were getting through that suffering. Y'all, I've seen some people hurt. And I just, man, they're, they're heroes of mine. And I wonder how you're going to get through this. How are you going to make it? I sat with someone this weekend in great grief. 2 Corinthians 6.10 was open before us as we talked. And Paul says, we're sorrowful, yet we're rejoicing. We're poor, but we're making others rich. We don't have anything, but we 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 have everything. And I was thinking, you know, that's, here's life. It, it's not binary. It, it It's not a dichotomy. It, it's very, very together and rejoicing. The deepest kind of joy many times can sit right next to sorrow. Uh, the the most painful sense of lack can 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 lead to an abundance. And those things are right there together. And the church at Smyrna, he's saying, I see you, I see your suffering, and I see that you're getting through it. So there's celebration there. There's celebration. There is a sense that 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 it's worth it. It's worth it to see what's happening and to not fall short of calling that out in these churches. So we see the love. That uh that is that exist for these churches. Now we're going to get into Sardis. Again, modern-day Turkey, Revelation chapter three. And before we do, I want us to just glance quickly um, at the beauty of Jesus. In Revelation chapter one in particular, it describes Jesus as having hair of white, of having um a face that's radiant as the sun, as having eyes that blaze like a fire, of, of having a mouth that is deep waters, of a voice that is l- louder than the ocean. And here we see Jesus being betrayed with wisdom, with depth, with, with penetration, with one who sees all and knows all. He's omnipotent and he's omniscient, and there is a celebration of who Jesus is. And I just want to keep that in front of you. The reason Revelation 1:3 says, Blessed are those who read these words, is because it ultimately points us to jesus in the midst of fascination and uh, mystery and all we need to get clear on jesus from revelation so it celebrates it's a at the heart of it is invitation a preparation of celebration it celebrates the church it celebrates jesus and here listen to me it celebrates victory and i am one of those i don't know if we have any more at in the house today but i'm one of those who loves the end of the story I love an end of the story. I won't look at them now, but we have a writer in our midst, a, a friend of mine who writes novels. And I was reading from a Stanford study that says, you know, we often think that if you know the end of the story, you're not going to want to watch it. You're not, it, it, it spoils it, right? So there's spoiler alerts. You ever done that? Whether it's a show on Netflix or whatever, so-and-so knows how it ends. Hey, don't spoil it because you'll 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 detract from my entertainment value. And a Stanford study actually showed that if we know how the story ends, we enjoy it more. That's a little counterintuitive, isn't it? But think about it. If you know how it ends, you can relax because you know the ending. You're still going to work your way there. The plot's still going to unfold. The narrative is going to materialize, but you know how it ends. And so, again, a Stanford study says you can relax and enjoy it more because you know how it ends. And that's how I feel about Revelation. Y'all, I want to worship when I read Revelation 5. I want to worship when I read Revelation 21. I want to worship when when I hear about a new heaven and a new earth and a holy city and a new Jerusalem and a bride all adorned for her bridegroom. When I hear about a throne room and a loud voice declaring that these are my people and I am their God and I will be with them and I will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more weeping. There will be no more of that. And there are 12 gates and 12 angels by those gates and 12 tribes of Judah and uh, there are 12 apostles of the lamb and there is a wall of a great high mountain and a wall of Cyprus and a city made of gold that's so pure it's like tr- uh, translucent glass and in there there will be no deception no insincerity no impurity and the glory of God will be the light that shines forever and that is the victory and if we were a different church and maybe didn't have so many Presbyterians we would shout right about now Revelation chapter 3, here we are. Let's look at it. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Stop there. We'll get back up, sorry. I know your works. Remember when Philadelphia heard that? I know your deeds. It was a good thing. It was all good. But here, uh-oh, he drops the, the bomb. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. This is scathing. Next verse, sorry. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. It's not over, the story's not written. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it. And here's our word, repent, that's an invitation. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let's consider, in the balance of our time, it won't be long, let's just consider Sardis. Modern-day Turkey, it was along a trade route, it was a a touch point between converging cities. It was in a fertile valley along a riverbank. It was attractive. It was uh, a popular and this attractiveness, this popularness of the popularity of the city uh, lent itself to pride. The city had pride. They had some snobs up in Sardis. And hear me, the church acquiesced to the culture of the city. And at this juncture of the writing What the Spirit of the Lord was saying is, you're not changing the city, you're letting the city change you. And so your reputation, this is hard, your reputation is a lie. You appear to be alive, but you are dead. As I was writing this this week, I I, I called this letter uh, an alarm clock verse. An alarm clock, you, you gotta have it. You've got something important. You don't want to miss it. You want to be there. You want to have that alarm clock. You want to have it set so that you get up, wake up, and get moving. This is an alarm clock verse because it's so important. Let me just stop for a moment. Let's just sit in that for a second. Who wants to construct a church or a life where the world thinks you're something, but heaven is not impressed? Who wants to look one way on the outside, but to be inside, to be so different? In fact, to be dead. And this pride creeped in to the church. And it was, I think, a slow decay. Pride can be that way. You don't just beat your chest and boast about it and then fall, as the Bible inevitably promises us. It's a slow decay, and it's a slow decay from the inside. This is an alarm clock verse twofold, I would say, about this. They don't represent Jesus well. They were matching the world. They tacked Jesus on to their religious activities, but they weren't representing Him well. There wasn't authenticity there. Number two, few are actually following Him. I remember Luke 9, 57 to 62, Jesus is telling some stories, and he tells stories about people who said they're going to follow him, because there was the crowd, and then there were disciples. What, what, where do you want to be? There's the crowd of people, the onlookers, the well-wishers, the curiosity seekers, the rubberneckers. They're there. They're in the vicinity, miracles and demons being cast out, and uh, teaching, life-giving. Uh, it, there was great interest. There were the crowds then there were disciples, and Jesus began to get a little more serious in the invitation. The kingdom of God is here. The good news of the gospel is here for all. I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to love the world, to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus tells a story about those who said they were going to follow him who declared, hey, I'm going to follow you. And he told stories about, hey, there was this man and this man, this man. And he said, I'm going to follow you, but first. I'm going to follow you, but first. And you know that you're spiritually dead. You know that you need to come alive. You know that you would need an alarm clock if when you're summoned, you mostly say to God, but first, but first. And you offer up a compendium of different excuses. Imagine flipping that. Flipping that you you know that you're coming alive spiritually. You know that the alarm clock has sounded, that you're following Jesus when you say, hey, 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 I'll come over and hang out with you guys, but first, I want to go to small group. Hey, hey, we'll do that this weekend, but first, let me go to church. Hey, I'll hang with you, but first, I'm doing this mentoring thing. Hey, hey, I'll go, let me consider, let me talk to the wifey, and we'll consider that vacation, but first, that vacation for pleasure, but first, we're going on that mission trip. You see that flipped where you're saying yes to the things of God. You're saying yes to the habits and practices and routines and things that would give you life that point you more to the way of surrender, that point you more into the plan that Jesus has to be with him, to be with others, to enrich relationships. And you see that but first could be switched. Another a metaphor to throw at you, not just the alarm clock, a smelling salt verse. This letter in Revelation 3, 1-6 to, to to the church at Sardis is a smelling salt verse. Yesterday I learned that Leon Spinks died. Anybody, does that name ring a bell to anybody maybe my age or older? But Leon Spinks in 1978 took out Muhammad Ali, shocked the world. He had a lot of fights. That was his greatest moment. Had many defeats after that, a brother that would fight. He passed away yesterday at 67. Leon Spinks knew some smelling sauce. These boxers, these athletes, some of you have been in the ring or been on the playing field. You know that they bring this, uh, gas, this, these particles to you and they put it under your nose and it irritates the nasal passages and the membranes, even the lungs. And it alters your breathing patterns and it snaps you out and it wakes you up. And whether it's an alarm clock or a smelling salt verse, we need to be woken up. We need to get out of our patterns of non-thinkingness, of, of sleeping. Of being lulled in some sort of a catatonic state and to be awakened and here's a few thoughts related to sardis that we might can connect to our life the first is three wake-ups i'm calling them wake up to your reputation what do people think when they think of you do they think of someone who's jockeying for position who's moving ahead who's trying to make a name for themselves You'll watch commercials, and you'll watch athletes tonight, and we all want to believe that they're so happy because they're celebrities and stars. And just wait and see the trail of despondency and despair. Wake up to your reputation. What do people think of you? Do they think of someone who is a disciple? Who's not a convenient or fake Christian or nominal follower, but a genuine, sincere disciple. The essence of what we're talking about. First Peter chapter two, a couple of verses here. Dear friends, I urge you. Friends, he's close to them. I urge you. It's really important. As foreigners and exiles, he's saying, if you understand your identity, you will live out the activity. We flip that. We're like a bunch of rules, a bunch of commandments, but we don't know who we are in Christ. We don't know what he offers us, but if you live, if your activity flows from your identity, it's a different thing, and that's what we see in the Scriptures. You are foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong good, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. This uh, Greek word for desire here, there's four of them in the New Testament. Like Some of you are aware, many of you, that the word love is not just one word love. There's three words in the New Testament for that, and there's four for desire. And this word can be keeping it simple. This word could could be uh, considered over desire, like it's a really heightened. Maybe agape love is that kind of love where it's the highest kind of love. It's different than eros love. We get burned by eros love, don't we? Oh, it's exhilarating and it's painful, and it leaves us writing a whole lot of sad country songs. And phileo love, man, have you ever been betrayed by a friend? I have. have you ever been ghosted? It's, it's one of the hardest things uh, in the world. But agape love is another level. This word desire, I'm drawing a parallel. It's the Greek word that means over-desire. In other words, it means it, you've been grabbed by something. If you're not careful, hear me now. If you're not careful, this world, the things of this world, will grab you and create in you an over-desire for something. And it could lead to your ruin and destruction. It'll wage war against your soul. For some of us, uh, look, it's uh, still going to say it. It's politics. It's politics. I just want to tell you what the scripture says. All right, you do with this what you want to. You push back if you want to. But scripture says we are not citizens of this world. We are ambassadors of heaven. Now, that didn't mean you don't be a good citizen. It just means ultimately your identity in Jesus is an ambassador of heaven. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is heaven. Let's bring some heaven down here. And so we don't live for this world. We don't live or die on one party or one political candidate. We're not freaking out as if it's over. Oh, so-and-so didn't get reelected or so-and-so got elected. We're doomed. We're done. No, if Jesus isn't king, we're doomed. We're done. We are not citizens of this world. We're ambassadors of heaven. Be careful. Here's what I've observed. Man, if you're living like you are a citizen of this world and you're grabbed by politics with an over-desire, here's what I've observed. You tell me if I'm wrong. The people that are overly, overly desirous of politics are, are never joyful and always angry. I'm just going to say it and leave it with you. All right, back to our outline here. We're looking at three wake-ups. Wake up to your duty As a disciple, when you study here, this is the heart of being an apprentice of Jesus. You sit at his feet, you hear his word, you do what he says, you respond to it. Some of you, this is your training medicine, law, coaching, teaching, uh, multiple professions. You can't Do what you do without someone who showed you. They taught you and then they brought you with them and then you observed and then slowly they began observing you and it was practice and then all of a sudden you got to do it on your own. And that's in some ways what it means in following Jesus is that we hear His words. Just take these simple ideas alone from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Love first, reconcile quickly, give sacrificially. Wake up to your duty as a disciple. Take Jesus seriously. Number three, a third wake up is to wake up to Jesus himself. Luke chapter 9, I'm kind of stuck there. But it says this about Peter and his companions. It says, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. How are we doing out there? You guys at home? Y- y'all get a pass. They were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. So let's talk a minute about awakening. Write down the word awakening on the left side of your page. And then in the middle of the page, write down the word honesty. And then over here, write down the word action. Now, what do the 930 was slow getting this? What do the first three letters of those three words spell together? Awakening, honesty and action. Aha, very good. Aha. It's an aha, and for us, for you to walk as a disciple in this world, to bring king, uh, the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of earth, you and I will need aha moments. And here's the thing about awakening. Let's put it this way. Awakening is not an achievement, it's a gift. And by the way, I think that's a cool thing. Because when you achieve something, what happens? You're kind of proud, aren't you? I'm not, but y'all are. When you achieve something, you get kind of proud. You, you boast a little bit because, hey, look what I did. Look what I did. And you didn't really do it unless you post it, right? So you post it, and you get the credit. People like and share and comment, all that stuff. So, hey, achievement, achievement, achievement. But awakening, awakening's a gift. Let me be honest with you. Not to get mystical, not to freak you out. Man, I I have felt God's presence very strongly in my life. I I have been on mountaintops. I have almost heard the voice. It's been so clear. And I cannot tell you when that's going to come. I can't, there's no magic formula, there's no transferable concepts, there's no slam dunks or silver bullets or easy answers or linear processes where you can get the awakening. Now, people write books and Pack out arenas and and stuff, telling you about those. I just I don't believe it. I just I just think it's a gift and only God. It's John chapter three. The work of the Spirit is 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 like the wind. This was before the Weather Channel. The work of the Spirit's like the wind, and we don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. And I feel like uh, I believe that awakening is like that. It's not what you achieve. Uh, it's not what you can manufacture. It's just a gift from God. L- Linda Stone, a uh, writer, uh, said this. She said that we live in a continuous. We live with continuous partial attention. I love that phrase because I think it's an indictment on me at times. Maybe you. You're on vacation, but you're thinking about work. You're at work, but you're thinking about vacation. You're with one kid, but you're worried about another. You're, you know, with one lover, but you, oh wait, we better not say that in church. Yeah, you're, you're thinking about somebody, you're with somebody, but you're thinking about somebody else. Okay, y'all come see me if that's your case for you. But continuous partial attention, it's, you're just, you're never fully present. You know anybody like that? Don't throw any elbows, all right? Don't pass judgment. But you know anybody like that? Just, they're not ever fully with you. I know a friend, a young person, their dad's a star, a Christian star. And man, we've had so many talks that have led to tears. And just he was never there. He was never, ever there, even when he was there. He just wasn't there. And what a sad indictment on us to live, as Linda Stone says, with continuous partial attention. D.L. Moody put it this way. He said that spiritual awakening, when God wakes us up, an alarm clock, a smelling sauce, it's not a dull habit. It's more like an acute fever. Listen to me. A dull habit has changed nobody's life. Nobody has ever left alcohol or addiction because of a dull habit. No one ever has sold their possessions and given to the poor because of a dull habit. No one has ever been fired up and done something great in the name of God because of a dull habit. But oh, some acute fever. When God works, when God shows up, when, when God wakes up, something can happen. Look what Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14, look at it, put it. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here's what I love about that. When you're, you're, when you're awakened, y'all know this is really hard not to say the word woke, okay? It's just so hard not to go to woke. I'm just struggling. Y'all are like, is he going to say it? Is He's going to say it? Oh my gosh, don't say it. But when you are awakened, there's light. That's the metaphor. There's light there. And here's the thing. Not only in Jesus can we see a light, drum roll, we can be the light. Matthew 5, I bet a large portion of you know what Jesus said here. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, This young lady that brought the poem at the inauguration uh, made reference to this passage, if anybody recognizes that. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father, who is in heaven? Here's the thing. Jesus said, here's what he didn't say. He didn't say, work really hard to try to be a light. He just said, let your light shine. And the word let, let's don't look past it, it's, it's really simple. But if if it, it's a it's an invitation word, it's a it's a partnership word. If someone, if I were to say to you, hey, let's have coffee. That means you and me. So that means we're, you know, you surrender your schedule a little bit and you say, Hey, let's, 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 let's sync up. Let's meet up. So you're letting me treat you to coffee. And there's a partnership there. Let us, hey, let me help you. If someone says, let me help you, you're going through a hard time. They can't just force themselves on you pretty much. You have to surrender. You have to be open to it. And that's this idea with Jesus here. We're, We're letting our light shine. And here's the thing, a lamp doesn't have to try hard to make a light. A lamp glows because of what's done on the inside. And that's us. That's us. What work are we letting God do? Are you letting him wake you up? Are you being roused from your slumber? God will do a lot of different things. Hey, tonight, many of you will watch the Super Bowl. And there's a head coach for the Kansas City Chiefs named Andy Reid. And Andy Reid has a son. And Andy Reid's son has um, battled alcohol. And Andy Reid's son left Kansas City Chiefs facility this week in his vehicle. And his vehicle veered over and hit another vehicle with a, with a wife and two small children in the back. And one of them is okay, one of the children. But the other one is in very critical condition. I haven't heard the latest. But those kind of things, they get raw and real. Those kind of things could be for Andy Reid's son. Those, that could be a wake-up call for him where he is, it's an alarm clock. It's a smelling sauce for him to say, I've got to change. But he's got to get over here because he's got to get in the realm of honesty because when you're awakened, you can greet it with honesty because you see because a light has shined. Here's the thing, when God shines his light, you know where, you know where he shines his light? Into my darkness. And do you think I like that? In Luke 15, the story of the prodigal. There's two phrases to pull from that. This guy said, hey, give me my inheritance. I'm going to live it up. I'm going to, I mean, wine, women, and songs. Drugs, sex, rock and roll. He he had been at the end of himself. All the money's gone. That's usually when God gets our attention. That's usually when you wake up, when all the money's gone. I'm still deriving pleasure from this hedonistic lifestyle, but I'm in the mud pit. That's not good. I'm out of money. I got, uh, and it says in verse 17, one of my favorite phrases in all of Jesus's stories, he, the prodigal came to his senses, honesty. He came to his senses, but notice verse 20. So he got up action, awareness, awakening, honesty, and action. And here's where life breaks down. Here's where it breaks out. I was talking to a cardiologist this week. He was showing me a study from the John Hopkins, former CEO of the hospital and the dean of the medical school there. And he was t- showing me this survey of uh, Edwin Martin, I believe is his name. And he was talking about all the major uh, by the surgeries, heart surgeries that happen in America and it, it's 660,000 a year, some major stuff. It's expensive. It's traumatic. Uh, life could go one way or the other. If ever there's smelling sauce, if ever there was an alarm clock, it's here. Okay. So, so change. Okay. Well, we've gone in and we've done what we can do with the great medicine advancement of technology. We've done all we can do. Now here's what you need to do. Okay. Honesty, awakening, honesty and action. And my cardiologist friend was showing me this study and like, Ninety percent of people don't make any lifestyle changes. That's just ninety uh, percent. Like, I, do you buy that? I do. And this is this is the breakdown. This is the breakdown. Oh, this is a gift. You can't achieve it. God orchestrates it. Pray that He does. Arise, awake, O sleeper. But here, this honesty. Hey, come to your senses. But listen. Verse, 20 doesn't, verse 17 doesn't mean anything without verse 20. Not a thing. I'm going to ask Lauren and the team to come up, and I'm going to pray over you. Pray over us. Today, think about this indictment. Could it be true of Fondren Church? Are we growing dead? What about you spiritually? What, what about your reputation? What reputation do you want? What ladder is your life leaning up against? Is it to be noticed and recognized by the world? Are you okay with that, that reputation? If it means unimpressing heaven, is that good with you? In what area do you need to be awakened? This is scathing today, this letter. It's a hard word to think about your reputation as a lie. You look alive, but you are dead. Man, I tell you, it is humbling for me and refining and it's jolting for me. I don't want to be any part of leading a church that's anything like this. Would you stand? Father, would you minister to us? And as Daniel closes the service after this song, reminding our people that there's a number to text, a number to call, uh, to reach out, to receive prayer, and spiritual counsel. Lord, would you awaken people to overcome their fear, to have the courage to reach out to us in these strange, distant times of isolation and pain and, and confusion? Lord, would you connect us in smart ways and wise ways and safe ways and help us be a, a community of believers to minister to each other in our hearts. Lord, would you make our church come alive in the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' amen.